Well, friends, sadly, let me turn that down just a touch, sound booth. Sadly, this will be my last sermon as a pastor of this church. Now, I'd say that not to draw attention to myself, but to draw attention to the passage that I have chosen. My family's been called to church planning, which we're excited about, and this passage will be one of the passages I take with me to try to implement in this community. But I also, as a pastor of this church, a shepherd of this group of people, I want to use this passage as a vision for our church now and for generations to come moving forward that perhaps we would learn from this passage in Acts chapter 2. What we have here is a beautiful description of the fellowship of believers in the early church. And you'll notice that the word love is not used in this passage. But what you see here is the most bold and clear demonstration of love that you could imagine. What you see here is a group of people who are passionately in love with the Lord and passionately in love with each other. So with that, let me read this passage to us this morning from Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Hear now the word of the Lord. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayers, and awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let's pray together now. Father, you poured out your spirit on this church in a profound way. The early church experienced your spirit moving in ways that we can't hardly fathom, and yet we know that you are still active and you are still engaged in this world and you are still bringing your purposes to fruition. May we be a part of that. I pray this morning that for any who are too comfortable, Lord, you would disrupt them. For any who are disrupted, I pray that you would give them comfort. And for all of us, you would encourage us and challenge us with the vision that we see in this description of this passage. Lord, we pray it for your glory and for our good as a church. Amen. So, this is the book of Acts, and as such, it is short for the Acts of the Apostles, And this passage is known as the Fellowship of the Believers. And what you see here is a description of a community built on Jesus. You see this is a community built on Jesus, touched by the gospel, transformed by grace, demonstrating love, and attractive to the world around them. And it was all led by the apostles, Christ's appointed leaders of the church. So that's what the book of Apostles, The book of Acts is actually about, it's about the acts of the apostles and how they served the church and were a gift to the church in this early period. We're going to be looking through this this passage verse by verse, but it starts in verse 42 and it gives us a brief summary of everything that comes afterwards. Everything else basically is fleshing out of what happens in verse 42. So let's read verse 42. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. 
when it says they, it's referring to the apostles, the believers, and the 3,000 who were just converted after a beautiful sermon demonstration where the Spirit led people to a place of conviction and repentance. So the they is all of the believers gathered together, and it says that they devoted themselves to several things. We have to stop here and we have to understand what this word devoted means. In the Greek, it actually carries the meaning of a persistence or an obstinance, that they are devoted in persistent obstinance. I have a friend here at the church who's recently signed up to do an Ironman. I, I, I mean, better him than me, right? This is just a, a, a grueling exercise where you have to swim 2.4 miles, you ride a bike for 112, and then just to cool off, you do a marathon. Now, my friend is not going to be able to endure that training nor the race unless he has a persistent obstinate devotion to this task. And it's the same for us. It's the same for the believers at this time, and it's the same for us, because had they not had a deliberate and intentional choice and active participation in devoting themselves to these things, they wouldn't have. They would have been like us, taking the path of least resistance. So if I had a glass of water, and I poured that glass of water out right here, where would it go? It would, it would be following the path of least resistance, Right? So that's the same thing for us in our human nature. Our sin nature is, is, is one of complete selfishness and rebellion to the Lord. It's the opposite of love. I don't have to teach my daughter how to be selfish. She's really good at it. I have to teach her how to be selfless, and it's because she is naturally inclined toward selfish behavior, and ultimately love and selflessness is foreign to her in her human nature, and it is to all of us as well. So what we see here is that the fellowship of believers were devoted to the following things that we're going to be looking at in verse 42, and the first of which is the apostles' teaching. And in your outline, I have categorized this as learning, okay? So they're devoted to the apostles' teaching. What exactly does it mean that they were learning? Well, learning chiefly about who God is. They're learning about who God is and how he's brought his people to himself through the person and work of Jesus. And that's application. This is not just head knowledge. The learning about the Lord and his story of bringing his people to himself has a direct implication for how we are to live. But they were learning. They were learning cognitive information about the story of God's redemption in the world, but they are also learning how to live as followers of Christ. And that's what we see throughout the rest of the New Testament, where the apostles have written the epistles to explain who God is, how he's brought his people to himself, and how we are to live accordingly. So what else would they have been learning? Well, the apostles would have been explaining the proper interpretation of the Old Testament. They would have been showing how every page points to Jesus, and how Sally Lloyd-Jones puts it in the Jesus Storybook Bible, that every page whispers his name. They would have been understanding the person and work of Jesus, his life, his ministry, his teaching, his crucifixion, his death and resurrection. They would have been attesting to all of these things, and they would have been explaining all of this as the story of how God has brought his people to himself and how we as Christians are to reflect his love in living a life of love. That's what they were devoted to. Now, lest we be confused that the apostles were just really good theology teachers, they were practicing some form of life-on-life -life discipleship through leadership and teaching people through experiential relationship. 
You can see that throughout this passage, that that is actually what they are devoted to. They're devoted to the apostles' teaching, and the, the, the apostles' teaching is everything that comes after this passage, uh, after in this passage. So, all of this is centered on the love of Christ and the love of Christ's people. You know, love really can't remain an abstract concept. It's something that's better caught than it is taught. And when we catch it, when we get a glimpse of it, when we experience it, it's something that we're invited into and it shapes us and we have the ability to participate in it moving forward. So the apostles' teaching was about the believers learning, but it was also about the believers living. My wife, um, given me permission to share this, but my wife has been a believer her whole life. Uh, to, to God's grace, she has never known a day that she was not in love with Jesus. But recently, my wife has had a greater hunger for the Word of God, which has been really fun. And this is God's grace to her as well. And this has a cyclical effect in the sense that the more she feeds herself on the Word and is exposed to the story of how God has brought her and us to Himself, the more she wants to study that. And the more she consumes the Word and she ingests the story of God's love, the more it shapes her heart and her life, and I see the love of God coming out through her. Learning influences and shapes our living. So if we are to become a beautiful community of believers like we see here in Acts 2, it starts falling in love with Jesus as we see him through the Scriptures and obeying his command to love as he loved us. And so we see that the, the fellowship of the believers, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, and secondly, they were devoted to the fellowship. I have that in your outline as loving. So what exactly is that fellowship? Well, it's essentially everything else in this passage being done together in unity, that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to, the, to worship, to serving, to evangelism, and doing it all in unity, as it says in verse 44. Let's look at that verse. It says, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. Are we to understand that as merely a physical unity, or perhaps emotional unity, spiritual unity, perhaps material? Well, the answer is yes, all of those things, because they had all of this forms of unity, and they were together, and they had all things in common. So the, the nature of this fellowship of believers, should we understand that they got to this place merely through the quantity of time that they spent together? No, although they spent a great deal of time together, as we'll see later in this passage. But it was also the quality of the time that they spent together. So there's a purposefulness and an intentionality to their time together. Look at verse 46 with me. It says this, And day by day, frequent, they are falling in love with each other as they're falling in love with the Lord, day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they receive their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God. I want to look at Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. It says this, And let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, all, and all the more as, this, as we see the day drawing near. So, what we see in this passage is a beautiful calling for us to seek to bless and encourage one another 
towards love and good works, but we have to be together in order to do that. And the fellowship of the believers, they were certainly spending a quality and quantity of time together, and that resulted in abundant love. If I were to go to the backyard of my house, I have a fire ring, and I were to build a fire, and I got the thing really high and big and hot, and I allowed it to burn for a little while so that there's a good coal base at the bottom of the fire, and then I reached in with some tongs, and I got one of the just hottest coals that you can imagine from the center of the fire, and I bring that coal out, and I put it over here. Do you know what would happen to that coal? It would get cool, right? And it wouldn't take very long at all for that coal to get actually cold. That's kind of how this works, friends. The fellowship of the believers has an intensification to it. That as we come together and we share faith in meals together and we worship the Lord and tell the story of His goodness in our lives together, there's an intensification that happens in the proximity that we have with one another. Christianity is by necessity a community faith. Did you know that? Here's two reasons why. First reason why is that we're created in the image of God. And we know that God is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's theology, and here's the application. We are meant and long for community. We long in our very creational DNA for community because we're made for it. We're made in His image. And second, love, which seems to be, if you read through the New Testament, the real point of application of the Christian life here in this world cannot happen without more than one person. So, our faith is by necessity one of community. And this is God's kindness to us because we actually receive a great blessing from being around the body of believers together. There's an intensification that happens. So, not only are they devoted to the apostles' teaching, not only are they devoted to loving or the fellowship, they're also devoted to serving. Now, we don't see the word serving in this passage, but I'm going to show it to you in verse 45. You see, love isn't merely a feeling. We may get that feeling, we may get those butterflies, but love, when you really break it down, is action. According to the Bible, love is sacrificial action. And we know that chiefly through Christ's love to us. I want to show you 1 John here. 1 John 4, verses 10 through 11 says this, And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. This is the gospel. God did not choose to love us because we are worthy and because we're so lovable. God chose to love us because He chose to love us. And He gave His Son as a sacrificial atonement for us to give us an opportunity to be right with Him. That's the gospel that God loved us first and we only love Him in response, that we only know what love is because He has showed that to us in a sacrificial way, and that that is what we are called to live out daily as the body of Christ. Now this, again, is foreign to us because of our sin nature, because our, our natural inclination is selfishness. But when we are touched by the gospel and the Lord gives us a new heart and we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we are empowered to love those around us who perhaps are even a little bit unlovable. 
perhaps who have jagged edges, maybe like we do. Perhaps we're able to love those in our community groups when they are a little bit awkward, like we are, and yet we try to hide those things. Verse 45 gives us this beautiful description of their service. It says, And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had needs. This is not communism. It's been called that before. Um, Communism is a tyrannical system. And in that system, you're not allowed to own anything. The government owns everything. But notice that what they were doing, what were they selling? Their possessions. And distributing to all. This is voluntary service motivated by love is an unbelievable demonstration of service. Look with me again at 1 John 3, 16 through 18. It says this, By this we know love, chiefly, that he laid down his life for us, talking about Christ, and we ought to lay down our love, our lives for our brothers. Now, lest we not know what he refers to there, he's going to tell us in 1 John 3. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Talk is cheap. If you say you have love for someone and you can't prove that and authenticate that with action, just don't even bother. Talk is cheap. As the body of Christ here, Christ Presbyterian Church, may we learn to demonstrate that in word and in deed, not just in talk. So they're devoted to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, and to service, and this service is what authenticates their love. They're also devoted to worship. The fellowship of the believers really starts with worship. You know why? Because there's not a fellowship of believers unless there's people worshiping the Lord. You see how that works? But it is also sustained by that worship. It's sustained by that worship. Because our love for each other horizontally is fueled by our love for God vertically. In this passage, in verse 42, it refers to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Now, should we understand the breaking of bread to be table fellowship and like coming together and have a potluck meal? Or should we understand that to be the Lord's Supper? Well, both, actually. Because we see in verse 46 that they were sharing table fellowship together, but in verse 42, we see that it has the definite article, the word the. So we're understanding that to be setting it apart as the formal breaking of bread being the Lord's Supper, which is a commemorative meal where we remember and proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That we would take and feast upon these symbolic elements, the bread and the wine that remind us that Christ has died for us. And we do that in unity together as a family for our spiritual nourishment and growth and grace. And we see that they are also committing themselves to the prayers. Definite article, the prayers. They were attending the temple daily. What we understand here is that the prayers is both formal and informal ways of praying. They were probably going to the temple three times a day and praying corporately together, but they're also devoting themselves to prayers together and sporadically and personally throughout their time together. So this is a beautiful picture 
of love. Look at verse 46 again. It says, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God. So it's not just a worship service that they're going to, but it's a life of worship. It's a life of koinonia. It's a life of fellowship where they're coming together and experiencing the story of how God has made a difference in their life. They're sharing that story, and they're erupting in praise together. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. All of this spills over into the community around them. They can't help it. They're devoted to learning. They're devoted to loving. They're devoted to serving. They're devoted to worshiping. All of this spills over into the community because all of this is natural and organic, and ultimately it results in evangelism. It says in verse 47, they were having favor with all the people, referring to the people outside of this little fellowship. They're having favor with them. Do you know why they're having favor with all the people? It's because love is the most attractive thing you can have. Because love is compelling. Because when you see real and authentic love, it sticks. You want to be a part of that. We're designed that way. It's in our creational DNA. But of course, love is a foreign language to us, naturally, because we're bent on selfishness and self-pleasure. But the believers in Acts 2 are speaking that love language fluently. They were devoted to it. It says in verse 47, the latter half, that the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. You know, it doesn't say in this passage that they were sharing their faith. It doesn't say the word evangelism, but we know that they were doing it. Everything you see in this passage was this beautiful community of life-on-life living where they're just erupting in fellowship and worship together and all that's spilling over. It was compelling. Paul tells us in Romans that for any who call on the name of the Lord, they will be saved. But, he says, how are they to do that if they are not exposed to the gospel? We know that love is compelling. Love is attractive. But love in itself does not teach you about who Jesus is and how he paid his life for ours. Love does not save the gospel saves. Yes, they were sharing their faith. It was spilling over and they were devoted to it. So the authenticity of their love that is so clearly seen is what paves the way for their message to be shared. The love is what tilled the soil in the hearts of the people around them with the, certainly the help of the Holy Spirit and that the seed of the gospel was able to be planted and grown. I recently heard a, um, a really beautiful testimony, a story of someone coming to faith. And I want to share that with you this morning. Somebody at our church shared these words with me. They said, I grew up going to church every week in an area where almost everyone was a churchgoer and a Christian. I considered myself saved and a Christian because I said the formulaic prayer of acceptance as a child. In my early adulthood, I moved to an area where Christians were not the majority, and in fact, they were ridiculed in many groups, and it was there that my eyes were opened to the authenticity and love for Jesus. I saw people sacrificing for their faith, 
genuinely striving to live like Christ all days of the week and inviting God into their failures and everyday happenings with joy. They didn't try to cover up their actions, and their Sunday selves were not any different from any other day of the week. And I was almost immediately invited into discipleship in the most natural, hospitable, and loving ways. I was challenged, taught, and exposed to the Spirit rather than simply a religion and a church culture. And after a year or so of experiencing these differences, I had my, my own spiritual eye-opening, and God revolutionized my life, and I'm happy to now be claiming an authentic relationship with Him as my own. Praise God! And you can tell. You can tell when you're around this person. You really can tell. It's beautiful the way this person's been shaped by the gospel. This is a powerful conversion story, and it was brought about in the same way that we see here in Acts chapter 2. You know, some people would argue, what is the best evangelism technique? What, they might also argue, what is the best apologetic to defend the faith? And the answer to both is the same. It's love. The best evangelism technique and the best apologetic is love. You know, this conversion story that I just shared with you, that did not happen as a result of being exposed to this body. This was from a different church. Now, I'm not suggesting that our church does not have some of this in it. This is not my sly way of saying you need to shape up and you need to be better, but this is my way of encouraging you and challenging you as I challenge myself. Friends, what would it be like if that story came about through our church? Huh? What would that be like? What would it be like for your community group to be the one where someone was invited into this fellowship and it was strange and bizarre for Jesus in the best ways possible. And one day that person comes to faith and they stand right here and they share a story of how God has brought them to himself chiefly through the love of this body. What would it be like? Can you imagine? That's the vision. One commentator says this, this passage presents an ideal for the Christian community, which it must always strive for, constantly return to, and discover anew if it is to have the unity of the Spirit and the purpose essential for an effective witness. An effective witness. In your bulletin, we have John chapter 13. I'm going to read this for us. Jesus' words. He says, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. May that be true of us. I want to issue a challenge to this congregation of which I am a part. I am you. I want to issue this challenge to myself moving forward as well. That by the end of this calendar year, December the 31st, 2019, there would be one person come to faith because of the love that is tangible and demonstrated by this church. One person. And that they would make that known and that they would share their faith on this stage and all of us erupt in praise together. Just one. So how do we do that? Well, first, friends, we have to pray to the Lord to add to our number a 
because he's the only one who can change hearts. So please commit to pray that the Lord would do that in and through us. And secondly, that each one of us would devote ourselves to learning about who God is and the story of redemption in such a way that it transforms our living, that we would devote ourselves to loving and the fellowship, devote ourselves to serving and demonstrating the authenticity of our love, that we would devote ourselves to worship and that we would, we would devote ourselves to making and taking the opportunities to share our faith with the world around us. May the Lord do this for His glory and for our good. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for this passage. I thank you for the beautiful description of love that you give us to see what it's like for a group of people worshiping you to come together, motivated by the love that they have received from you, that they return to you, and that they demonstrate together. I pray now, Lord, that if anyone here has heard this message of the gospel for the first time or in a new way, that they would be convicted, that they would be changed and transformed, and that they would grab a friend, even if it's somebody they don't know, and they would just let them know that they would be on fire for you. I pray all these things, Lord, in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.